I invite you to turn in your Bibles back to the book of Romans, just a book before 1 Corinthians. This morning we'll begin our study of Romans 14, verse 1, all the way to Romans 15, verse 13. This is the last major section of Romans before Paul starts wrapping things up at the end of chapter 15 and chapter 16. Now, as we come into this section, I am not sure how familiar most of us will be with it. Maybe you know it well. Imagine this is not the most familiar passage to you in Romans, though. It's certainly not what most people think about. When they think about Romans, our minds are drawn far more, for example, to what Paul says about sin and judgment, grace, the cross, or to maybe what Paul says in Romans 9 through 11 about Israel, the faithfulness of God. But, but I think that in many ways, Romans 14 to 15 is actually the part of the letter that is most directly connected to the life of the people who got the letter. And so I wonder if this part of the letter may have actually been the one that really grabbed everybody's attention, uh, perhaps more than any other part of the letter. <clears throat> for example, you think of when this letter was being read publicly for the first time to the Roman churches. Maybe that was by Phoebe who brought the letter or by someone else. But I think there would have been a lot of oohs and ahs. Like, wow, that was really good, you know, throughout the, throughout the reading of the letter. But when the reader got to this part of the letter, I think there might have been a lot of awkward silence. Okay? A lot of people squirming in their chairs, if, you, if they had chairs. Why is this? Hey, we're going to figure that out as we go throughout uh, this week and the next couple weeks. But, but let's just say, to start with, that the reason this section would have grabbed a hold of everyone was that no matter who you were, there were parts of these chapters where you would have felt like Paul was thinking or talking directly about you. Okay? And let's just say Romans 14 to 15 isn't filled with Paul saying, wow, you're awesome, or I'm so happy about what I've heard about you. Okay? Instead, Paul is talking directly to a group of Christians who've been letting their different opinions about certain practical matters of the Christian life divide them. And, and as you think about it, like with many situations like this, where there's disagreement, different opinions within the church, you have some in the Roman churches who look down on the others in the church for not seeing what they see. After all, isn't it so obvious? Okay. And then you have those, those others judging the first group for their lack of caution, their flippant attitude toward God's law. After all, shouldn't we all want to be careful? And in this section, as we'll see, Paul has something to say to everyone involved. Nobody gets through these sections without having something said to them. Okay, now, before we get to the text itself, I, I want to talk first about how I plan to approach uh, this section as a whole over the next few weeks. Okay, first, this section, the whole thing, 14.1 to 15.13, is all about the same topic. So we just came out of chapters 12 through 13, which you could say it's all about like the Christian life or something, but there's like you know, 40 different topics or something like that, you know, covered in those, in those two chapters. Well, these two chapters, or this big section, is basically all about one topic. 
Okay? And, and as, it, as Paul talks about that one topic, there are several repeated themes. Like he keeps circling back to the same kinds of things throughout the whole section. And so what I'm going to do is I, I plan to treat the whole section together. And that's why you'll see that our text today is the whole thing. And it may be in the bullet, I'm not sure. It might say this whole section, part one. And then next week, it'll be the whole section, part two, and so forth. And, and currently, I think there'll be four parts to this section. And so one of the things that I uh, hope you would do or encourage you to do is to read this whole section a couple of times each week in preparation for the sermon. And in addition, if you're in our community groups, uh, you'll know that we're actually memorizing kind of where this section is going, Romans 15, verses 1 to 7. And so hopefully this will just give you some extra motivation as well to commit that great text to memory, to regular meditation. Okay, and, then, and then second, about today specifically, my goal today is, is basically just to help us get our minds around what's going on in the section. Like what is the main topic? What are the specific issues involved? What led to those problems within the church? Like why do they have such strong opinions about this stuff? Things like that, okay? And so to that end, what I want to do is I actually want to read the whole section, okay? or almost the whole section, okay? So we're going we're gonna to read a, just right through this text because I want you to see it as a whole, and then I'm going to try to help us understand what was going on, okay? So chapter 14, verse, verse 1. Pay careful attention. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know, and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. 
So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let's pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating isn't from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the, re- written, the reproaches of those who reproached you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. And we'll stop there for now. For the next few times that we're in Romans, it's going to be our goal to get this text clear in our minds, let it go deep into our hearts for the good of our church, and at the end there, for the glory of God. Now, of course, there's a lot going on there in that text. Today, my goals are limited. They are to figure out basically what was happening in the church, churches, to grasp why that was a big deal in these churches, and then to hear what Paul's main call is in that text. Okay? So let's start with what was going on. What were these different opinions about? Okay, take a look at the text to find the answer again. Okay, we don't have to look far because it is in the second verse, Romans 14, verse 2. <clears throat> One person believes he can eat anything, while the weak person <clears throat> eats only vegetables. Okay. There were different opinions about food. And from our reading of this chapter, you saw that this issue is front and center throughout the whole chapter. Okay, just go back and look through some of the verses, like verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Or verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God isn't about eating and drinking. Verse 20, Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. And that's not all. There's other verses, too, in the text. But that's enough to see very clearly what I'm talking about, that the topic or the point of contention is largely about food. Okay? But what exactly about food? There are lots of of opinions about food today, too. Okay? Are Are we talking about the same thing? What exactly was going on at this time? Back in verse 2, you get a good idea. Paul describes the situation. One person believes he can eat anything. 
while the weak person eats only vegetables. Okay, so is, is this Paul's take on being a vegetarian? Or his take on vegetables? Vegetables are bad because they make you what? Weak. It's the kids think, right? This is good. This is not what Paul was saying. What exactly is he talking about? What was the issue with food? And we're going to come back to this again and again, but I'll just say up front that this has to do with the Jewish food laws, with the very laws we read earlier in Leviticus chapter 11. Okay, there were some in the church who believed it was perfectly fine now to eat things that used to be forbidden in the law of Moses. And there were others that thought this wasn't okay, or at least they weren't sure if it was okay. Okay, more on that later. But that is not the only point of contention. Okay, there was at least one other issue, maybe two. Okay, the other one that's clear is in verse 5. Paul says it kind of the same way. One person esteems one day as better than another, as like of more significance, while another person esteems all days the same, all days alike. Okay, this was not just about food laws. There were different opinions about special days. And again, what are we talking about here? Okay, we are talking about special days within the Jewish calendar. Days like which ones would you guess? Like some big ones, like the Passover or uh, the Day of Atonement. Okay, but, but I don't think just those, like annual kind of things, but also days like the Sabbath day. Okay? It's up week by week. And what is the issue? There were some in these churches who believed that there was now no obligation on Christ's people to treat any day as different from any other day. They were convinced that Christians are not obligated to keep any Jewish holidays or even the Sabbath that had been prescribed by Moses. But there were others in the Roman churches who disagreed with that. They thought that wasn't okay, or at least they weren't sure. Those, they thought those days were different. God still demands something different from us on those days, doesn't he? And I sort of hinted that there could be a third specific issue in mind. Paul seems to hint at this two times in the text. It has to do with drinking wine. You can see this. The first time is more subtle. Verse 17, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. Okay, now... Just from that, I'm not sure that you would think like there's a specific issue, maybe. Uh, but then verse 21 seems to add some weight to that, that maybe this was also at least a minor issue, where Paul says it's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that causes your brother to stumble. In light of that, I do think that drinking wine was probably also a point of contention, though that's, it's really not talked about like, the food, or the special days. Certainly the food was the big issue, the significant one. And by the way, on the wine thing, just to clarify something, I don't think the issue with wine 
had anything to do with drunkenness. Like where some in the church thought you could get drunk and others in the church were like, you can't do that. And Paul's like, hey, just live and let live. You know, like feel free to disagree. I do not think, this is probably more like some in the church were convinced it was perfectly fine to drink wine while others had reservations about that, probably due to the possibility or even the likelihood that that wine had been contaminated, okay? Not like literally where it like make you sick or something, but through how it had been handled or prepared or what it had been used for by pagans in Rome. But no one's exactly sure on that if that is like one of the issues. Certainly food laws are the same, are the main thing, and to a lesser degree, the special days, okay? Now, let's just pause there and think, okay, why did that stuff matter so much? I mean, Paul spends a lot of time talking about this. In fact, I think in some ways the whole letter is leading to this. And when you read this section, it causes you to go back and read the rest of Romans and think, wow, like, Paul has been preparing the church for this through all of this other stuff. We're going to talk about that more next week. But I think, why was this such a big deal? Okay. And here's where we have to put, try to put ourselves in a different world a bit, at, a, at a different time, a world where keeping Jewish food laws and observing Jewish special days was fundamental to Jewish identity. It was like core to being a Jew at all, all right? Now, I'm not going to go into great detail on this, but one of the things that happened in between the Old and the New Testament, okay, in between Malachi and Matthew, okay, that 400-year time gap, one of the things that happened during that is that there was significant pressure put on Jewish people to abandon their customs, and to integrate fully into Roman society. And that pressure was especially to abandon circumcision, to stop following the Jewish food laws, and to stop following the Jewish calendar. And I think it is hard for us to appreciate just how important these signs or markers of Jewish identity became during this time. People spilled their blood for this. Like you can read about this kind of stuff like in the books of Maccabees. You could read, like you could find this online and read stories in 2 Maccabees of entire families being killed for this stuff because of their loyalty to the Jewish law. And these stories were like your hero stories. Okay? This was incredibly significant. But then think about it. When a Jew became a Christian, what now? Did these things still matter? If they do, how much do they matter? And if they don't, why don't they matter anymore? These were very pressing questions in the churches. And that's just, that's just focusing on the contemporary culture, like the situation on the ground. That's not even to mention the importance of these things in the Bible. They don't have the New Testament text. Like this, this letter is likely the first New Testament text these churches ever came across. What are they reading every week? 
what are they memorizing in their community groups? No, okay, that probably won't do it. But like, what, they're, they're soaking in the Jewish scriptures. They're reading the Torah in the churches all the time, and they're reading about all of this stuff. And it's really, really important. I mean, how important was it to keep Sabbath in the law of Moses? There's a guy that got killed for picking up sticks on the Sabbath in, in the law code. How important were these special days, the food laws? Okay, I mean, and especially the Sabbath, I mean, it's actually part of the Ten Commandments. Like, was it really okay for Christians to now meet on a different day? Was it really okay to not follow the Sabbath prescriptions, the Sabbath laws? Okay, particularly if you're coming from a Jewish background into Christianity, perhaps you can sense how significant these questions would be for you. And now, now if you know much about the New Testament, by this point, you're, you might be starting to think, you know what, I think Paul talks about this kind of stuff in other places too. Like, yeah, this is actually really important throughout the New Testament. And so I want to I try to clarify something for you about what was going on in Romans and the churches in Rome and what was going on in some of those other texts, okay? Two other places specifically, okay? Now, if I said, where, which letter does Paul talk the most about circumcision, Jewish stuff, food laws, special days, like where it's like the biggest issue in the whole letter? Which letter do you think? Do you know? Galatians, okay? This is his letter to the Galatians. And if you happen to make it to our Bible study last week, we spent the afternoon in Galatians. And one of the things we talked about was how in that letter, in, that, in those churches, there were certain Jewish people who had come into those churches who were telling Christian Gentiles that unless they became Jews, unless they got circumcised and started living like Jews, they couldn't really be fully part of God's family. Needless to say, Paul had some pretty choice words for those people. But what I want to point out today is that even though Romans 14 to 15 is related in some ways, it's really not the same scenario. Okay, in Galatians, Gentile Christians are being told, you need something more than your faith in Jesus to be welcomed into God's family. Okay, that is clearly a gospel issue. And Paul treats it that way. Okay? In our text, though, in Romans, that is not what was going on. This text is about differences of opinions between Christians about whether or not it's important to observe the Jewish days and to follow the Jewish food laws. Nobody in this situation seems to be saying anything like what was being said in Galatians by those false teachers. This is not a clear gospel issue. Okay? At the same time, it doesn't mean it's not related to the gospel at all or that it's not important. But as you'll see, Paul is not nearly as concerned about getting everybody to have the same opinion. As much as he's concerned that everyone in those churches treat each other the right way regardless of their opinions. That's his concern in Romans 14 and 15. He would be fine if they kept their different opinions and they cared about each other the right way. That's the heart of Romans 14 and 15. Now, the other place in Paul's letters 
And I'm not saying Paul doesn't have an opinion, by the way. He does have an opinion about what's the right opinion about these things. But, but that's not where he's putting his emphasis. Now, the other place in Paul's letter where you'll see something similar is in the text that John read earlier. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and really 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, okay, the whole section there. Okay, you'll see a lot of similar emphases in those chapters and in our chapters in Romans. And that shouldn't surprise us. After all, the letters were written within a year or so of one another. This was a big, these were big questions. Okay? And you might not realize this, but Paul's actually writing the letter to the Romans from Corinth. Okay? Like he is at the church in Corinth, writing to the church, churches in Rome. Okay? But what I want to point out is that the specific scenario is actually different. They're not the same scenarios, okay? If you look closely at the text in 1 Corinthians, what you'll find is that that was not about following Jewish food laws or special days. That was not the question. What was the question that they had? It was about whether or not Christians were allowed to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols, And so even though some of the things Paul says are very similar, I want to make it clear that the specific situation is actually different. And so if you look at the advice and you say, hey, that's similar, but that's actually very different, the issues were different. That was about whether you could eat meat that you knew had been sacrificed to an idol. And and also, there was even another question, can I go into the idol temple to eat it? This is not what's going on in Romans 14 to 15. In the Roman churches, there were different opinions about Jewish food laws and special days. Do Christians need to follow them or not? And not everybody agreed. Some were convinced one way, some another, and some just weren't sure. What should a church do in that case? What should a church do when its members have different opinions on things that may be important, but that are not core gospel issues? Does a church need to have the exact same opinion on everything? Can a church exist where its members have different opinions? Romans 14 to 15 is all about this. And its message is just as vital for the church today as it was when it was originally written, though the issues that we wrestle through might be different. Now, there's much more that could and should be said to help get our minds around the situation. Uh, Next week, I'll plan on saying some more of those things. But I hope you've seen enough to be interested in reading the chapters on your own. And I also hope we've seen enough to prepare us for the two final questions about this section of Scripture this morning. My first question, as we close, what is the main thing Paul calls every Christian to do in this text? The answer is very clear. Starting in verse 1. Look at verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Next week we'll talk more about how Paul's using the language of weak and strong there. Uh, But here you can tell in the very first verse that, that this verse is directed at the strong. And what's Paul calling the strong to do? As for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him. It's to embrace 
that brother or sister with open arms. And notice what he adds at the end of the verse. But not to quarrel over your opinions. In other words, don't be standing inside your home with a big smile on your face saying, come on in, brother. Come on in, sister. They, I'm so glad you're here. They walk in. You kind of look out the door, see if anybody else is around. Close the door, lock the door, do the deadbolt, and be like, I am so glad <laughs> you decided to come. Because you know, you're going to pull out your list of arguments and beat them over the head with it. So it's like, don't do that. Welcome him. Not to quarrel over your opinions. But next, look at verse 3. Look at what Paul says to the weak. So, so verse 3, let not the one who eats, that's the strong in the text, despise the one who abstains or who doesn't eat. That's the weak. Okay. But then pay attention. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Why not? Because God has welcomed him. See, the call to the weak is first to don't, don't pass judgment. But the implied call is also to do what? To welcome the strong. Why? Because God has already welcomed him. It's the call to extend the very same welcome as God. So to the strong, the call is to welcome the weak. To the weak, at least implicitly, the call is welcome the strong. And then you look at the end of the section. The final call is not to the weak or the strong specifically. Romans 15, verse 7. Therefore, this is where everything is going. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. What's the main thing Paul calls every Christian to do in this text? More than anything else, this is a call to welcome one another. To not let our different opinions divide us, but instead to welcome one another with open arms, without holding anything back. Or as this verse says, it's a call to extend to one another the very same kind of welcome Jesus has already extended to you. Last question, question two. Why do that? What's the main reason? for extending that kind of welcome. I think the answer is also clear. I think it's actually implied even in that verse, verse 7, verse seven 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Even in that verse, I think, we're reminded that behind this call to welcome each other is the amazing truth that Christ has already wholeheartedly welcomed each of us we did not deserve that. We did not earn that. We are not being called to offer anything to our brothers and sisters that we have not already experienced ourselves. Christ has already opened his arms to you and welcomed you. But to see what's behind this call even more clearly, we could go back just a couple verses. Romans 15, verse 2. Paul says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Why? Verse 3. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you 
fell on me. There are lots of reasons given in this text to welcome each other, lots of motivations given in this section for embracing what Paul's saying here. We're going to study them, we're going to consider them over the next few weeks, but there is nothing more important than this. We are to treat each other with selfless, sacrificial, welcoming love because Christ selflessly and willingly sacrificed himself for us and welcomed us. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Christ bore our shame. He bore the insults. He bore the pains. He took the blame that should have fallen on us so we could be welcomed fully into the family of God. And Christ did that very same thing for every brother or sister that you have a hard time with. That's why Paul keeps saying, don't mistreat the one for whom Christ died. Christ died for that brother that you have a hard time with. Died for that sister that you disagree with and you want to argue with. So as Christ has welcomed you, you extend the same kind of welcome to them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just a great morning just to get into this text and to start to think about it, to see some of these big things. Lord, I pray that you will do a great work in us for the long-term health and stability and joy of our church that we will be able to really love one another as Christ has loved us so that others will see the love that we share and know we belong to Jesus. And Lord, I I pray that in, in all this, you will get great glory because I know that you love to unify people, people who were your enemies, people who were each other's enemies. You love to unify us, to bring us into your family, to bring us into relationship with one another so that we just have to to stand in awe at your power and at the, the power of the gospel. I pray that you will do good work in our hearts through your word over these next weeks. In Jesus' name, amen.